come on, Pete. Who do you think you are? <laughs> me? <laughs> I was staring at the blank note thing that was like, you know, next to your name, what's stuck in your head? I'm like, she literally just said this. How can I not yeah, make this work? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I, as always, am uh, one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today I am just really excited that the weather has turned nice. Uh, It's been a lovely weekend thus far, and I'm looking forward to spending more time in the sun and wearing sandals. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, uh, Martha Sullivan, and today I am an extremely sleepy young adult librarian who is considering uh, doing some research into CBD oil as a sleep aid. Mm, fun. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> um. I've had a kombucha with CBD, and uh, at like one time I'm like, yeah, maybe this is making me a little sleepy, and then every other time I'm like, yeah, whatever, it tastes good. It's like minty, honey kombucha. Yeah, I, my sister and my father have both dabbled in CBD as a sleep aid, and gotta tell you guys, I'm not sleeping very well at the moment. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll see how that see how that shapes up. Yeah. I am also very excited about this beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Good. I was messing around with the idea of taking my yoga mat outside Ooh. to do do some flow in the sunshine. Nice, nice. Some uh, sun salutations in the sun. Yeah, yeah, as it were. Yeah. Cool. Well, today, uh, to match the, the nice weather we finally got going on, we're, uh, you know, shifting gears. Last couple episodes have been kind of downer episodes talking about, you know, isolation and and pandemics and all that stuff. Uh, and don't worry, we're going to get back to downer topics in our next couple episodes. But today... Because no one talks about anything else anymore. <laughs> uh, but today we're shifting gears and we're talking about happy stuff. Uh, it's underdog sports stories uh, this week. Uh, we're going to be looking at Miracle and Moneyball. But before we do that, it's only fair to share what is stuck in our heads. Uh, this is just whatever piece of pop culture we want to tell you guys about. So, Martha, what is stuck in your head this week? So, I recently saw the brand new teaser trailer for an upcoming HBO show that I'm very excited about. Uh, it is called Lovecraft Country and is based on a book that I haven't read yet, but I'm about to start by Matt Ruff, uh, which is a um, Lovecraftian universe type story uh, that is set during 1950s Jim Crow America with an African-American protagonist. So facing a lot of uh, Lovecraft's more racist tendencies kind of head on uh it is being produced by jordan peele and jj abrams and i have been stoked about it since i first heard about it and the first trailer is now out so that is what i have been uh sort of consumed by the last couple of days uh that little spiel you gave answered all the questions i was going to be asking you such as had you read the book um, Not yet. Yeah, uh, it, the, you're right. The, the trailer looks great. Um, and as you mentioned, I love the fact that uh, 
They are both apparently fighting Lovecraftian monsters and monsters such as H.P. Lovecraft himself, because uh, he's a racist toolbox. Well, and I love that this, I love a lot of horror kind of hinges on the question like, is man the real monster? And in, in this kind of story, it's like, well, man is awful, but also there are monsters. <laughs> so we get the, we get both. Right. We are not lacking in the monster department on this one. No, we're really not. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, for me, I have uh, started listening to the audiobook of 112263, uh, Stephen King's time travel work from 2011. Uh, I think that's when it came out. Um, it's the first Stephen King that I've been consuming written in this century, uh, which is exciting. Uh, longtime listeners of this podcast know that both Martha and I are Stephen King fans. Uh, we've had episodes dedicated to Stephen King. Um, but I, most of my Stephen King consumption happened when I was in middle school and high school. Um, and then, and, and more recently, like revisiting some of those earlier works for this very podcast. Uh, so it's, it's great to be, uh, consuming a new ish, uh, Stephen King book, uh, really well written, great, uh, voice actor on the audio book. Um, and every people have been telling me to read this book since it came out and I'm finally getting around to doing it. And yeah, they were right. Do you know off the top of your head who reads the audio? Oh, I can find out in one second. Hopefully, maybe. I'm, I'm curious about, I'm curious about something, which we will. Um, Craig Wasson, W-A-S-S-O-N. I was curious about whether it was the same reader who did The Stand, mm -hmm. um, which I listened to uh, last summer, because that narrator had a really great, like, 1950s radio announcer kind of voice. Oh, which yeah, sure. I feel would have been a good fit for 112263. So I was just curious if that had, um, if that was true. No, uh, uh, this guy's doing some, I, I can only assume it's a good uh, old Mainer accent uh, when he's back mm. in the past and, you know, doing all that, um, which I'm, I'm really enjoying. I have no idea if it's, like, correct, because I don't know what that should sound like. But in my mind, it's what it should sound like. So, you know, we we talked on air right before we or we talked right before we got on air and you asked if you had already spoken about. 112263 on the podcast and listeners I said that frankly I did not remember. <laughs> I'm wondering if you have because some of this feels familiar. So if if this is a retread, I apologize, it's my fault. I told Pete that he could go ahead and talk about this. Well, to be fair, we I think you and I talked about this like off air, but I'm not sure if I've ever made it my stuck in my head. Um I've been listening to this rather slowly. I'm I'm really only listening to it when I'm um uh, like uh, doing indoor biking or possibly today outdoor biking um, as I'm listening to, to podcasts and other things during other times. So. Please, please don't listen to podcasts while you bike outside. Drivers have been so... Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm on a, I'm a, like on, on the... Uh, oh, like on the, a stationary bike. Well, a stationary bike, yeah, but when I'm biking outside, I'm on like a bike trail. Okay. So I got, yeah, I no, just... no worries for cars on that one. Yeah, biking on the road, biking on the street in Oak Park has been not great mm. recently because there are fewer cars on the road, but the ones that are there 
um, are nutcases. Yep. I, I feel very strongly that drivers have gotten less responsible yep. <laughs> recently. Uh, Milwaukee always has bad drivers, and I feel like this has exacerbated it because, as you say, there are fewer cars on the road, but those on the road are maybe ones who shouldn't be. Yeah. So that that's all I needed to know was that you were not planning on. <laughs> yes, yes. On uh, we uh, Milwaukee County has a lovely uh, bike slash running trail that runs you know uh, twenty thirty miles um, with no no cars no nothing so it's great oh, lovely yeah uh, except for now it's slamming busy so I'm kind of like I don't know if I want to be biking on it anyway wear your mask uh, yeah right <laughs> um, cool. So we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to get into our underdog sports stories. are back. So, uh, like I said, today we are talking about underdog sports stories. We're going to be looking at what makes these resonate with us so much, why we keep, uh, and by we I mean Hollywood, keeps uh, making these kinds of movies, and why are sports sort of the perfect vehicle for them. Uh, we're also going to talk a lot about our love of various sports and our deep, deep sadness that we are not currently able to watch any of those sports, other than uh, replays or dramatizations. Um, so we're going to start off with Martha's pick, which was Miracle. Yeah, so Miracle is a 2004 movie about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team uh, who literally miraculously um, defeated the Soviet team for like the first time in history. Uh, this, I had never seen this movie before. Really? I Yes. I I have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I hadn't seen it either, but um, uh, I, I just would have uh, thought that you, you would have, seeing as it's oh, like yeah. the Venn no, diagram is, is a t circle for you. It is squarely in my wheelhouse, and I don't know, couldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so the main, it is directed by Gavin O'Connor, was written by Eric Guggenheim. It stars Kurt Russell, Patricia Clarkson, Nathan West, and a bunch of other people. Um, and Kurt Russell plays the coach who has to turn a ragtag group of college students into an Olympic gold medal winning team, uh, which he does. Um, you had seen this movie before. No, I, I, no, I had not. Oh, okay. Yeah. So first time for both of us. Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts on it? Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it is squarely a you know it's it's the same movie as remember the titans except for it's on uh ice instead of a field uh and it's about soviets and not racism um I was gonna so say, i guess it, it's a very different movie than remember the titans but it, it it is and it isn't like remember the titans is a different movie and i i intentionally did not pick remember the titans for this show even though 
it's one of my favorite movies of all time Mm -hmm. um, because it's not really an underdog story. Like that was a team that people expected to win. Mm -hmm. The story there is not so much how they turned into a winning, like how they came up from behind and turned into a winning team, but about like the racial dynamics that are going on that are trying to prevent them from doing that. Right. Uh, which I did feel was kind of a different story. Uh, this is a very classic, like, we have, ev- like, everything is against us, but we're going to pull it together mm-hmm. and, um, um, you know, make history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought Kurt Russell did a, a pretty good Minnesota accent there. Um, they also captured the... Uh, passive-aggressive nature of, Minnesota, of, of of Midwestern arguments pretty well in a scene between him and Patricia Clarkson. Um, and finally, the reason why we don't know any of these kids is because they hired hockey players to be them because they figured it was easier to teach hockey players to act than it was to teach actors to, like, play hockey, um, which makes total sense. Uh, the kids look great on the ice, and their acting is serviceable. Uh, Kurt Russell is really like the heart of this movie. Uh, without him, I think it would have fallen apart, but he does such a great job in the role um, that he really holds it together. Well, and the the gameplay is great. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching that. I, I will say this movie pulls out a couple of the like inspirational tropes that we're all very used to seeing yes. in these movies, and I don't know that it did them very well. Mm-hmm. Um. There's the scene where, so Kurt Russell keeps asking them, like, who do you play for? And they all say their colleges that they're from. And then they have a big pivotal moment when they're all, like, dead from training. And one of them says, I play for the United States of America. And it's supposed to be this really great, like, uplifting, come-together moment. Except I could not tell first of all it comes across as he's the player has determined that this is what he needs to say to make the practice stop (laughs) right right because as soon as he says it um the the suicide girls (laughs) right (laughs) yeah they're running suicides um and i could not tell what it was in that scene that inspired him to say that thing like, other, other than like just total physical and mental exhaustion <laughs> well and there was no indication that him saying like i couldn't tell what the cue was from kurt russell that saying that would have been the thing that he was looking for yes like it it seemed like the movie had just decided we are at this point in the movie and we need to like we're at this point and this thing needs to happen. So we're just going to have the kid say it. Yes. Uh, also from the very first scene when it's like, uh, who do you play for? Like uh, university of Boston or whatever. I'm like, Oh, so there's going to be a scene where he asks and someone says, I play for the United States. It's like, cool. Well, and also <laughs> I, I think that was in the trailer. Mm. I think that that moment um, may have been part of the, part of the advertising which i mean is i remembered that line and i've never seen this movie sure uh and like it does make sense because that is like a it's a perfect trope for sports movies like this um so the fact that it's in it isn't like a knock against it it's like oh yes you have checked that box of having that scene yeah and i i want to make clear like i'm about to you know we're about to pick apart this movie in a critical way I still cried when they beat the Soviets mm-hmm. because 
uh, inspirational sports movies is like where I live in terms of happy places <laughs> for movies. So remember, no matter what I might say in terms of criticism, I I still cried when our boys won. I'm not a monster. Uh, one one thing I really liked about this and, and is going to make an interesting uh, contrast with Moneyball when we get there is that the, the final game takes about 40 minutes of screen time. It's um, so long. And it, it looks great, and it's it's exciting, and it's riveting, and even though you know what's going to happen in terms of, like, it is, like, based on a true story, we know that the U.S. wins, it's still, like, riveting and captivating um, to watch it. it. It does help that I enjoy hockey. Mm-hmm. I would love to know, like, there's so much of this movie that's dedicated to actual hockey gameplay, and it's probably because, you know, they, as you said, they hired hockey players to play these kids, so they wanted to play to their strengths. Um, I would love to know what somebody who didn't enjoy or wasn't familiar with hockey thought of it, because I could see this movie being a little bit less accessible if you weren't already a fan of the sport, just because they spend so much time actually playing. Sure. I mean, so like, I, I like hockey, but I'm not like, I wouldn't call myself a hockey fan. Uh, back when the Blackhawks were doing really well, like 10 years ago now, uh, I was watching a fair amount of it because, you know, go Blackhawks. But, uh, you know, I don't really watch it now unless it's on TV at a bar that I'm not at because I can't be at a bar. Um, uh, and, and I... I so, you know, it's it's not like I'm a hockey neophyte, but I'm also not like a hockey fan. Um, and I thought it all looked great. Um, but at least I do know enough about this. I, I think even if you knew nothing about the sport, it's exciting. And it's clear enough what's going on um, that it's, it's pretty accessible, I would imagine. Uh, in the same way that, like, Remember the Titans is accessible, even if you don't really know from first down, you know? Well, and I guess I would say the difference is because I am not a football player. Um, Remember the Titans ends up being way more about the characters. Mm-hmm. I, I, This movie is about Kurt Russell. I couldn't tell you a single player's name. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, or like if you if you gave me uh, any one of them and, and you know, I, and I we're it, like, who's this? Yeah. Kid? Who's this? Guy? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also couldn't tell you Kurt Russell's like character name. He um, was just Kurt Russell uh, in 80s Herb. hair. Herb, oh, okay. uh, Herb someone. Sure. I keep trying to say Herb Cole, but that's very wrong. Um, I, I mostly know this because uh, uh, my wife Martin is from Minnesota, and he was a big deal there for obvious reasons. For um, obvious reasons, yes. Yeah, very sad. He died of a, in a car accident, a car crash, right bef- after principal photography of this was done, but before it was released. Oh, bummer. Yeah, so, like, he was involved in the, you know, they they interviewed him and all the rest of it, but he wasn't able to actually see the final cut. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have been interested to know if he liked it. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think, like, people who knew him liked it, you know, th- thought it was a good portrayal, all the rest of it. Um, How could you not? Like, we all we all could be so lucky to, as to have Kurt Russell uh, portray us. True. <laughs> we have been on a. I think you you commented when we picked this or when I picked this movie that we were continuing our Kurt Russell streak. Yes, it's a good streak. Yep. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to say about Miracle? No. Um. I especially in this time, it's 
it's, you know, a solid B movie, but it's a great uplifting feel-good movie. So if that's really what you're in the mood for, I think it's a great pick. Um, I think it's a little long for that. That's fair. Um, I I agree. It's very uplifting. Um, I actually ended up watching it in two phases mm-hmm. um, because it's over two hours, which is, I think too long for a Excessive. movie yes <laughs> um yeah i could have done with i could have done with it being a little shorter mm-hmm. that's that's fair i was watching it well like started on exercise bike then like was cooking then finally sat down and finished watching it so i it didn't feel as long to me because i wasn't just sitting on the couch the whole time um but yeah it's it has uh excess fat that could be trimmed off it what did we feel about it being do we feel it's an anti Soviet movie? I mean it it is about a period in United States history where being anti Soviet was important. <laughs> um but how do we feel about that kind of like do we feel like it ends up being that way or is it just about like we didn't we were playing against some of the best hockey players in the world. And like, that's why. So important story, like comparing it to, to say like Rocky four, where he fights like even Drogo, that is a, like a straight up anti-Soviet pro America, rah, rah, rah movie. Um, And it also came out during that time period. This one feels more like, obviously it's, it's, you know, pro America, rah, rah, rah. And obviously the Soviets are the enemies, but I don't, think it's anti-soviet in in a you know ideological way it felt more like they are the they are the challenge to be overcome um but like there's there's never the scene of like you know the the soviet coach you know berating his players or or you know there's never like an ideological confrontation that's true we get sort of a weird nod between kurt russell and the soviet coach when he when they win yeah and we get a we get a few scenes of them seeing like they watch the tapes of the Soviet team, um, but it's not like the Soviet team being um, hockey monsters is not as important as just watching our boys come together. Right, and it's not like they're hockey monsters because they're Soviets, and it's like yes, they train like machines or whatever. It's like yeah, they're just really. Like they train hard, and they're also fantastic hockey players. So the mm-hmm. like the conflict is all on the ice. Um, speaking of the Soviet coach, his eyebrows though the greatest. The hair in this movie was really, <laughs> mm-hmm. really something. <laughs> uh, it's hair that many of us are going to be having in about a month or so. Mm. <laughs> Not by choice. Well, actually, I I would say that a lot of that 80s hair is very well maintained, just in a, like, particular way. True, true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, like, hockey is famous for the the hockey hair. Uh, Like, the the mullets and all the rest of it. Like, even today, you've got the the hockey hair as, like, a major part of, of high school hockey. No Shave November is my least favorite part of hockey because most of those players are children and cannot grow a decent beard. <laughs> All right. Well, should we switch over to our second homework? 
Let's do it. All right. I assigned the 2011 movie Moneyball, um, starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. This was written by Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin and adapted uh, from a Michael Lewis book uh, of the same name. Uh, it's the introduction of sabermetrics into baseball, where um, it's the 2002 Oakland A's. They are the poorest team in baseball. Brad Pitt is the general manager who has to figure out how to uh, assemble a team for pennies. Um, and he does. They don't win, but they, you know, he takes it way farther than they should have. Uh, longest winning streak, I think, in baseball up to that time, um, or at least in the American League. Uh, and yeah, sort of like it, it changed how baseball is played. Um in, in pretty meaningful ways. Um, also, totally forgot, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this movie, which anytime he's in a movie, it's exciting. I also forgot that. Mostly because <laughs> he he's... showed up and I was like, hey! <laughs> well, it's because he's bald in this, and frankly, he, sh- he is not a man who should have shaved his head. Like, you know, it's, it's not a good look for him, but it's a great look for that character. Um, yeah. Well, and it just shows, I mean, he is one of... He was one of the world's greatest character actors like he was transformative in his roles in a way that is kind of weird considering how distinctive he looked and sounded like as his regular self Mm -hmm. um but yeah he he could be like unrecognizable in a role yes um yeah and i i was uh thinking it's like after the confrontation he has with brad pitt after pitt like um, trades off all the players that he was using he's not in the film again and that's a i think that's a really clever story choice but it's also sad because that means less screen time for philip seymour hoffman he had a, a finite number of minutes on screen and so uh losing any more is just unfortunate um anyway yeah uh, we both had seen this movie before we both loved this movie um any any interesting takeaways this time around it is it is interesting in light of what we are talking about now because they don't win. Mm-hmm. Like if this had been if this had been a fictional story, um, the A's would have won the World Series. Yeah, and like that would have been the end. And it's a little bit Friday Night Lights ish in that, you know, they Brad Pitt's character um, Billy Bean revolutionizes the way that this team approaches who they play uh or who they um draft and who they like who's on the field at any one time and it makes a huge difference but it also at the end of the day like they still don't win Mm -hmm. um but on the other hand like billy bean at the end of it gets an offer to manage to be the gm for the red sox and his offer would have made him, I think Jonah Hill says, the highest paid GM in the history of sports. Yeah, yeah. So clearly it's like, well, we lost, but also did you? Right, right. Um, the, and that scans well. There was a, um, I think it was in the very last game that they lose. And, and you're hearing sort of like sports announcers and commentators and everything talking about it. And one of them says, um, basically like, this game of statistics that they've been playing works really well over the course of the season, but for any one individual game, it can fall apart, which is kind of what happened to the A's against the Twins um, in the game that they lost. And that's also kind of... I I feel like that's 
in a way the ethos of the movie like it's it's all about the aggregate like it doesn't matter if you like which games you win or law lose because you you're winning overall um well and it was funny so i watched this movie with my husband and who had also seen it before um and also loves it and is a huge baseball fan mm -hmm. and you know watching listening to the announcers talk about um you know like this is you know before the strategy starts working everyone is very um down on them yeah like it, everyone finds billy's methods to be almost repugnant because they're like you don't you know you're trying to distill a game about people down to numbers and you know you're eliminating the human aspect and it's like baseball is an entirely statistic driven sport mm -hmm. like the things that matter for a player are there rbis are there like like all of these numbers matter and then to have the the scouts be like well i like this guy cuz he's got a good walk it's like that's nonsense <laughs> but, but, and, it's, and it's nonsense to pretend that baseball has never been a game about statistics it sounds like billy bean was just one of the first people to drill down and say like no you know what it doesn't matter how we feel about these people what are their statistics yeah what yeah. are the hard numbers that are going to make these people worth our time. Well, and also figuring out what numbers to focus on and what numbers not to. Like Jonah Hill, it, th this movie does a fantastic job of um, sort of explaining the math behind it all uh, in a way that like non-math people can understand. Uh, and it's basically like just get on base. That's all that matters. So like it doesn't matter if you hit a home run, if you know, like like because the, the, the 90s was the age of the sluggers, right? Like you had, you had Maguire and Sosa and all the rest of it. Um, but, uh, you know, this is sort of the end of the sluggers because who cares if you hit the most home runs if every other time you're striking out? Well, and if you don't get on base, you can't score. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I love this movie. I cried several times watching this movie because I miss baseball so badly. <laughs> Um, organized sports in general, but like baseball, I did not grow up as a sports fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't have like a, a deep history connection, um, with any one sports team. Were you, were you like not watching I, the Bulls, uh, in the nineties? I think I went to a Bulls game as a child. Hmm. Um, I just, I, I did not connect with sports until... I don't know, really until I started dating people that cared about sports. Um, and now I like to go, I like to go to baseball games. I have a hard time watching baseball on TV because I think that on TV, it can be pretty boring. Mm -hmm. um, but live baseball games, there's nothing like a live baseball game. Yeah. And I, this, this movie doesn't spend a whole lot of time about the game because unlike Miracle, it's not really about um the actual gameplay yes this I, I feel like most baseball movies will have a, a montage scene of of multiple games and that's because as you were saying watching baseball on screen is not interesting uh because it's, it's moments of it yeah moments, yeah, moments. of it are <laughs> right uh but but it, it's because it's a slow paced game um i tweeted last night after watching this movie that sergio leone should have made a baseball movie because its pacing is perfect for him of like slow tension building and then an explosion of something interesting. 
Um, and then, you know, three more hours of slow building, nothing happening. Um, but like, that doesn't work in a movie like this. So instead you just have, you know, a montage, like they win 19 games in a row in 30 seconds of screen time, you know, right. uh, which, which I think is great. And again, speaks to the ethos of, of the movie and of, of sabermetrics in general. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's fascinating that this is a sports movie where there is very little sports happening. Mm-hmm. What do we think of a uh, baby Chris Pratt showing up? I forgot he was in this movie, um, <laughs> which is my theme song, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I, well, um, Chris Pratt is a, an actor who is sort of the illustrative, like, don't learn anything about the celebrities that you enjoy because mm. you'll find out that they're bad people, mm-hmm. which will, I mean, it soured me on him pretty considerably. Mm. Um, I don't find him as grotesque to watch as I do someone like Kevin Spacey, but I definitely am kind of over, like the shine is off that apple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sorry, as you were saying that, I remembered something else I was going to mention, which is this movie, like sp- speaking of uh, Chris Pratt as one of the baseball players, this movie folk spends very little time on individual players. like. It's got a couple minutes with with Pratt and and with their relief pitcher and with um, what's the guy names Fields uh, Justice um, like the the older guy on the team who'd been like an established star for a while. Um, oh, I liked him. I, Although I, calling him old at thirty six was yeah. a little bit like, oh dang. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> so uh, like th- th- those characters, those players get a couple minutes of like screen time and of individualness, but. Other than that, almost all the characters are just, like, replaceable cogs in the machine. Um, and even those characters get way less screen time than I think they would in other more traditional sports movies. Because um, it's not about well, the players, it's about the system. I was going to say, I think that's very intentional. There's one one of the best scenes in the movie, and I say this because I one of my favorite things about media about visual media is watching people who are really good at something be really good at that Mm -hmm. is when Brad Pitt decides that there's a particular player that he wants and he calls like four different managers and sets up this intricate trade of people and contracts that ends with him getting the player that he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is amazing. And And, and it's all just yelling into a speakerphone. Yeah, but it makes you realize, um, and I, you know this if you are a person who follows baseball at all, like the the players are um, almost interchangeable. Like they, they, not interchangeable, but they, they move around a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like Jonah Hill gets very nervous about having to tell somebody that they are, um, being that traded. they're being traded mm-hmm. and when the player gets it he's just like all right yep yep <laughs> i think that's just what it is uh on the other hand though there's a great scene because like there's a few scenes where like brad pitt is teaching jonah hill how to how to trade these guys how to tell them that they're being traded jonah hill does it all the rest um but then there was a, a fairly effective scene i think where brad pitt had to tell a guy that he was getting moved down to the you know back to the farm system and that is so different than being traded 
Um, yes. That like it's like Pitt did it himself. He definitely was like, I'm sorry, uh, which he had told Jonah Hill not to do, um, you know, when when you're just trading players. Because mm-hmm. um, like that's a much more crushing uh, announcement than than that you're being traded. Um, so what is it? So the big reason that I wanted to do this topic is because clearly the underdog story is resonant with us in general. Like we all enjoy seeing stories of people that get to come out on top no matter where they start from. Um, which I think I, I'm interested to hear your interpretation. My feeling on that particular point is that it's because we all like to feel like we can win. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter where you're at in your life, you like feeling that if you try hard enough, if you, you know, if if things line up the right way, um, you get to come out on top. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Uh, well, and and also like everyone is is the hero of their own story and everyone i think likes to think of themselves as an underdog because people are sympathetic to underdogs they like everyone hates the yankees unless you're in new york because the yankees are the big you know expensive bully team everyone likes the scrappy underdogs because maybe they can can beat those guys and everyone everyone likes to see themselves in that position even if they're not um so mm-hmm. i i think seeing seeing that like happen in, in movies and stuff sort of taps into that primal sense of rooting for the, the, the little guy, because that's who you think of yourself as. Well, and do we, as you, as you are saying that I am kind of realizing that that can be a very damaging perspective. Oh, absolutely. People who think that they are the little guy and it's like, no, um, you know, any, any white guy ever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who thinks that he's the oppressed class. Yeah, um, I'm I'm thinking of all these, that... these these wackos going out there like protesting to open up states and everything and it's like they're they're being oppressed. It's like no you're not. Shut up. You're not. You're not. But like I and I, I think you're right that it's it's a useful thought sometimes but it's a very toxic and and difficult like you know dangerous thought other times. I think yeah, I think it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, I mean, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> right, just, right. It just can be. Um, it's like sometimes an underdog is an underdog, and when they win, it is exciting. And I, I think both of these movies, and, and most sports movies that are underdog stories, are like active underdog stories, you know? Like, it's, there's no argument that the, the you know, U.S. hockey team was not an underdog team you know um what is it about what is it about sports stories that makes it makes them particularly well suited for the underdog narrative i think part of it is that sports have clearly definable win-loss conditions um you know just the score uh so it's easy to visualize easy to dramatize uh you know if you ever need a moment of tension, you can shoot back to the scoreboard and be like, ah, three seconds on the clock. It's three to four, you know? Um, so it's like it, it, the, the structure of sports feeds well into the language of film. Um, Mm -hmm. because, because there are those like 
there's a, a there's a clock there's a score there's like everyone knows the conditions of winning and losing um and because you can capture somewhat the feel of being at a live sporting event um which you know being at a sporting event or being you know just in a place where everyone is watching the same event has like there's a frisson of energy there um you know when when something big happens or when when the team wins um which is like it's inherently really exciting Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with all of that Mm -hmm. i think we are also all just predisposed like there is something about american culture that is very defined by our attraction and affection for organized sports um and these may be two sides of the same like this may be a related uh this may be an interrelated theme where where we are a fi- we are fans of the underdog narrative and thus we like mm. organized sports <laughs> um because the sports give us that like that narrative that we like yeah yeah and then it all kind of feeds back on itself mm-hmm. um I don't think it's as simple as that because people also really like it when their teams win. Like the Yankees have a huge fan base. That's why they have so much money. Right. Right. Um, but there's definitely, I think an attraction there. It, it's why, And I think, I think this works whether or not your team is the underdog or not, but we all derive personal value from watching the people we like be victorious mm-hmm. we, so, we're, we're wired to be tribal and and nothing is more tribal than sports mm-hmm. so when when our team gets a victory we are also getting that victory when the cubs come back and win the world series for the first time in a hundred years that's our victory too in yes. addition to theirs yes yes um and <clears throat> going back to what you you said a, a moment ago we we like the underdog story but we also like when our team is just rampantly dominating i mean you know i I mentioned the bulls in the 90s earlier that was not an underdog team but man it was great growing up in chicago then right because that their victories belong to us yeah yeah like there's a comfort in being part of a tribe when your team is not winning but there's also you know how good it is when they are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's the the shared commiseration and the shared uh, a sense of excitement and exuberance with the victory. Yes. Anything else you want to talk about on this? I think that's all I got. Yeah, yeah. So what are we talking about next week? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next week we are going to continue our Michael Lewis theme. Uh, he wrote Moneyball, uh, and we're going to be looking at um, how would you describe this, Martha? It's it's sort of the uh, living in interesting times dynamic. Did uh, you say we're going to be talking about Moneyball because we're talking about the Big Short? No, no, I, yeah, we are talking about the Big Short. I didn't, hadn't gotten that okay. far. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, for a second I thought you said we're going to be doing another Michael Lewis book. We're going to be Moneyball. talking about Moneyball. No, we already did that. It's a great little baseball um, book. Uh, the no, Big we, Short <laughs> is basically, and I've I've seen the movie. I have not read the book yet, um, but I do believe it is an exploration of what happened to the economy that caused the two thousand and eight eight 
the Great Recession. Crash. Yes. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at this because we want to explore sort of a nonfiction vehicle of something that, uh, you know, a, a, a non-flu-related sort of um, disaster, crisis, uh, major uh, historical event, um, and then also how it's being dramatized. So the, the homework assignment is to read the book. Uh, Michael Lewis is a fantastic writer, um, very, very accessible. Um, and then to watch the movie, the, uh, what year we think that movie came out? Well, let's see what IMDb tells us. <laughs> it was, it was within the last five years because I Just watched barely, it. It was 2015. Yeah. I watched it, um, before as part of the oscars mm, mm-hmm. it was nominated for best picture and best director i believe also i want to say screenplay was in there i don't know yeah it had uh, some best picture best director supporting actor and film editing and it won adapted screenplay um so anyway uh this is all to say read the book watch the movie uh and we'll be talking about that on our next episode in two weeks um for the following episode, we are assigning a much longer nonfiction book called uh, The Great Influenza uh, by John M. Barry. Uh, we just wanted to give you the heads up. Uh, that's about the Spanish uh, flu of 1918. Um, we just want to give you the heads up on this now because it is a longer nonfiction book. It might be a bit of a slow read. So we figure rather than giving you two weeks to do this homework assignment, we'd be kind and give you four weeks to do this homework assignment. Uh, also, it's one of the rare situations where we had, you know, our uh, multiple episodes in a row lined up in advance. So I <laughs> might as well give you the heads up on that. And we're we're a little more nonfiction heavy. Yes. Um, which actually, that'll be our third episode in a row talking about nonfiction. We should do something fun after that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. get back to you all. <laughs> Dogs. Why they're great. <laughs> Why they're great. Uh, right. Well. Uh, you can follow the show on uh, Twitter at DYDYH Podcast and on Facebook by searching uh, Did You Do Your Homework? I guess we're also on Instagram at DYDYH Podcast as well. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere where fine podcasts are available. You already know that, so uh, instead of uh, just doing nothing with that information, you should instead go to one of those sources and rate and review us. Uh, and tell your friends about the show. Let them listen to it as well. Uh, you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Um, Martha, what are you plugging? Yes. Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on the internet at all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, you can also listen to the other show that I do that updates on the same feed on alternating weeks called Love Ya where Marin, friend of the show, and Pete's partner and I uh, watch a streaming teen rom-com or teen romantic movie in general, and then we talk about it. Um, our last episode, the audio quality was a bit mm, unfortunate, but we're uh, hopefully have that fixed um, and hope that you will <laughs> join us for our next episode. What's the uh, next movie you've got lined up for that? Uh, Book Smart. Oh, yes, right. Because Marin has never seen it. Yes, I've been trying to get her to watch it. So, uh, uh, it is streaming on Hulu now. So, we hope that you will watch that and join us. Huzzah! Um, I also write a newsletter sometimes, theoretically, where I talk about what I've been reading and watching recently. Um, 
I have not updated that in quite some time because of the world. Mm -hmm. So that's still that's still kind of on the on the back burner. Uh, and how about uh, where can people find you? Um, I, I already said that. at all the places yeah. at Magical Martha. Cool. Uh, I was just clearly not paying attention. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000, where uh, it's politics, pop culture, uh, Shed Aquarium retweets, you know, dogs. The penguins are just so cute. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we will talk to you in two weeks. And until then, class dismissed. Right. I feel like until then, class dismissed doesn't make sense, but whatever, we're keeping it in. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. Cool. <laughs>